Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read one verse. We're going to read verse 6. If you don't have your Bible, I want you to just lean over to the person next to you. You know, don't lean too far. You know, respect their personal space, but look along with them. One verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read it all together. One, two, three. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for hunger. We thank you, God, that you desire for your people to hunger and thirst for you. God, we thank you, Lord, that in this place, God, you are releasing a hunger. You're releasing a fresh expectation for your spirit, for your presence to know you, God. Your word says, God, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. You're going out as as sure as the dawn. That, God, you would come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. And, God, we want to know you. We want to know you. The deepest desire of our hearts, even if we can't put words to it, God, is to know you. So, Lord, I pray today, God, would you just release an awakening today, an awakening in our hearts, God, to seek after you, to to thirst, to hunger for you, God. Lord, we bind every work of the enemy. We bind every distraction and we declare your words going to bring forth a harvest in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It says in the NIV, for they shall be filled. Tell your neighbor, say, I want to be filled. I want to be filled. In the South, we say field. I want to be filled. We all want to be filled. We want more and more of God. But before you can want more of God, you've got to have a hunger. And God wants each and every one of us to have a greater and greater hunger for him. Hunger is a part of being human, right? We all know what it's like to be hungry. You know, even say you don't live in a place where none of us necessarily are malnourished. None of us live in abject poverty, but we know hunger. You know, a couple years ago, we as a church, we did a 21 day fast. And uh, I did I did one of the 20 days. It wasn't like we didn't fast and just like eat or drink nothing. We did juice. But I was hungry. I just remember being so hungry during that fast, like. And it was like, I was wondering why I was so hungry because it was day one. You know, like it was like hour two of day one. Like I got up and it was like, oh, snap, I got 21 days. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I step outside and then I walk past the duck bookie stand. Mm. Just wanted to stick my pinky in the duck bookie sauce, you know. That's the Sunday. You know what Sunday is? If you don't know, it's it's a. Pig intestines or cow or it's intestines. That's all I know. And uh, every time I hear about it, I was like, oh, no, I can't. I can't eat Sunday. I I don't want Sunday. I never want to touch it. It's nasty until I was fasting, (laughs) until I was hungry. And I was just I was just standing there. But Sunday smells so good. (laughs) You know, we all know what it's like to be hungry. You know. But there's, there's a hunger that is, that is actually deeper than food. There's a thirst that's deeper than, than drinks, right? Because no matter how much you eat, 
eventually you're going to want more, right? No matter how much you eat, no matter how much you drink, after a while, you're still going to need something more to drink, something more to eat. But there's a deeper hunger that's deeper than food. I know that's surprising for some of you because that's all you know, you know. It's just satisfying that hunger for food. Some of us satisfy it more than others. I'm going to give that a moment. But there's a deeper hunger. When Jesus went to, to the well and he saw the Samaritan woman, he said, if you know who I was, you'd ask for a drink and I'd give you living water and you'd never be thirsty again. And it's like, what? Like, like Jesus, he wasn't talking about technology. He wasn't saying that he was going to give her like one of those camel packs, you know, the packs that go around and you can just put it. It goes in your backpack and has a tube and you can just walk around just drinking whatever's in the tube. I had one of those in college. And so I would just walk around like people try to talk to me. What's up? What's up? Like, What's wrong with you? I said, like, just drinking water. He wasn't talking about technology. He even said, he said that the food that he gives, if you eat what he has, you'll never be hungry again. You know, there's a deeper hunger that each and every one of us has. And it's a spiritual hunger. It's a spiritual thirst. And it's something that Jesus only can feel. But I want to, I don't want to talk about being filled. Because this, this passage we read, it doesn't just talk about being filled. We like to focus on the fill part. Fill me up, God. Pour out more of your spirit. God, fill me up. Fill me up more. Give me more. Give me more. But the first part of this passage t- talks about first being hungry. That there, it's actually a blessing to hunger for God. It's a blessing to thirst for God. It's a blessing to want more of God. Why am I talking about hunger? Why am I talking about thirst? Because it's so easy for us to get apathetic or complacent when it comes to God. You know what I'm saying? You ever gotten to a place where you stopped being hungry for God? Pray? I ain't really feeling like it. Worship? I don't really feel like it. You know, we got this church-wide retreat that's coming up on Thursday. Maybe that shows how many people are hungry <laughs> for what God's going to do. You know, oh, it's, you know, it's another retreat. You know, I've, I've talked to some people about the retreat, and the, the attitude of their heart is, you know, that's fine. I don't feel like going. You know, I can miss out. I, I, it's almost like if, as if nothing significant is going to happen there anyways. So what if I miss it? You know, church, reading my Bible, being in God's presence, you know, those are good things, but they're not things I'm hungry for. You ever gotten to that place in your spiritual walk where you just feel complacent? Where you feel like everything is just going through the motions? Hunger. How many of us would say that we desire a deeper hunger for God? How many of us would say that when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we think about is not eggs and bacon? I just got some bacon from Home Plus. I bought it in bulk. It's American bacon. It's like the bomb. It's not like Korean bacon. No offense to Korean bacon. It's good. But the American bacon. I don't know why I talked about bacon just now. When, you, when you're sitting here right now, you're not thinking about what you're going to do after 
When the presence of God doesn't just become something that you plan into your schedule, but it's something that you long for, something you thirst for, something that you desire above anything else. How hungry are you? How hungry are you today? You know, earlier we were pressing in, right? But it can just, it, that, even that can become motion, like when we're singing and we're worshiping God. And it's like, well, I'll just get through this time. But are we hungry for more of him? You know, no matter how much we know that we need God, we can become apathetic. No matter how much we know that God is good and God's blessings are good, we can get cold. We can feel stagnant. We can feel stuck. We can feel like that's good for them, but not good for me. Hunger. Today, I want to talk about three ways that God calls us to hunger. Three things that God wants you to hunger for. And we're going to go through quite a bit of scripture. So I want you to have your Bibles ready. The first thing is a hunger for breakthrough. Everyone say breakthrough. How hungry are you for breakthrough? You know, I want to talk about these three things that we're hungry for. And I'm I'm going to introduce a problem that keeps us from being, that causes us to be apathetic. And then I'm going to give you a solution. Because apathy is a condition. It's like a disease. Apathy is a disease and it has symptoms. It has symptoms. If you don't deal with these symptoms, if you don't deal with this, it's hard to deal with that condition of apathy. So let's talk about this first one, a hunger for breakthrough. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we're going to read just from verses 2 to 9. I want to give you a, a story from where Jesus encounters a man. John chapter, two, John chapter 5, verses 2 to 9. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Let's stop right there. Being blind, lame, and paralyzed. I can understand maybe being one, but all three put together, we think we have problems. This guy got some problems, right? These people have some problems. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a long time to not be able to move, to be stuck, to be in one place. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus says to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. That's powerful, right? Jesus heals this man. He tells him, get up and take up your bed and walk. But I want to talk about the the man. He's an invalid. He's blind. He's lame. He's paralyzed. And he's been in the same place for 38 years. He's been there for a very long time. And Jesus walks up to him and Jesus could have asked him any question, but he doesn't he doesn't say, you know. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you okay? He could have asked him a myriad of things, but he asks him what seems to be an obvious question. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? You've been in this situation for so long. You've had this kind of walk for so long. Do you actually want to be better? And then you think the man would be like, yes, Jesus. Yes, yes. Get me healed right now. I want to get up and I want to go swim. 
But he doesn't. He starts giving excuses. Wait, wait, see Jesus. See Jesus, I, I have no one to put me into the pool. And then once I tried, started try getting into the pool, someone else steps in before me. It was hopelessness. You know, the, the thing that keeps so many of us from pressing in for breakthrough is hopelessness. I want you to write that down. Problem, colon, hopelessness. See, this man, he had been in a bad situation. He had been in a situation that was awful. If any of us saw it, we would have pity on him. We would have compassion on him. But when Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? And all of a sudden he starts giving this hopeless response. He's pretty much saying, I don't actually want this breakthrough. He starts giving excuses. Because hopelessness is the antithesis of breakthrough. Hopelessness is what keeps us from pressing in for breakthrough. You ever been in a situation where you feel hopeless about something? It causes you to start looking at yourself like a victim. This guy, he had the victim mentality, 101, you know. Everything's going wrong. Jesus, I've been here. No one's going to put me in the pool. I want to swim, but no one helps me. Everyone gets in before me. They all get the golden ticket, not me. And he's hopeless. What situation are you in where you feel hopeless? Is it some sin pattern you've been dealing with for so long that you feel like I'm never going to get out of this? Maybe it's that vision or dream or maybe it's something that God's put in your life that you've you've known. You know God's heart. You read the word of God. You know this is not right for me, but you haven't seen anything change. I mean, this man was sitting there for 38 years. All of us would have probably left the church if we were there for 38 years, right? (laughs) Somebody's telling the truth. You know, hopelessness reduces you to a victim. And even though you know what's good for you, you stop moving for it because you don't believe it's for you. I can always tell when someone's hopeless because they start talking about how God can bless someone else but not them. How someone else got a breakthrough, but not themselves. And I'll tell you two things that fuel hopelessness. The first is unbelief. And unbelief comes from seeing your circumstances as bigger than God. That's unbelief. When you see your circumstance, when you see the mountain that is before you as being bigger than the God who made the mountains, you're in unbelief. Well, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just crawl into the pool? Why don't you just get your healing? I mean, the healing was right there, but no, the circumstances are too much. I've been this way for 38 years. I've had this going on for so long. And his his unbelief was so strong that he didn't have, he didn't have the hunger to press in for breakthrough. And the second one is comparison. Comparison I said unbelief is when you see your circumstances as being bigger than God. Comparison is when you see other people as being bigger than God. Let me explain. Comparison is when you see you care more about the response of other people when you need to press in for breakthrough than what God has said. This past Friday, fire Pastor Gina, she preached a message on on uh, obeying God. Rather than man. And talking, essentially talking about the fear of man. And you know, the fear of man causes so many of us to stop for pressing in for breakthrough. 
Oh, should I pray? I don't I don't think I should pray. What will other people say? Should I worship all out? I don't know if I should worship all out. What will other people think? Oh, should I go to this prayer meeting? I don't think I should go because other people may think something of me. Should I act crazy? Should I even here? You say one. Should I dance during worship? You know, when I when I'm up there, I'm like, hey. But then all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait, what, what if someone sees me? Wait, should I, should I press into that greater level of freedom? Wait, what if someone thinks something of me? Comparison begins to get in and it, and it, it snuffs out the faith for breakthrough. What it does is it, it changes the reason for your situation. Let's look at what this man says. Jesus walks up to him. He says, son, do you want to be made well? And he gives him two reasons. He says, no one's helping me and everyone's left me behind. You know, when you start comparing your walk with someone else, you start comparing what God has done in someone else's life rather than your own. Then all of a sudden you start feeling isolated, right? Everyone's left me. No one's going to help pick me up and put me in the pool. I need someone to help me to get my breakthrough. It's hopeless. Or I know what I need to do, but no one, everyone else has went on before me. I felt left behind. I know many of you have felt that way. And when you're in that place, it's very hard to press in to have a hunger for breakthrough. Because it has a lot to do with what your eyes are fixed on. You ever heard this saying, your eyes are, when your eyes are bigger than your stomach? Every time I go to a buffet, I always get more food than I'm going to eat. Because there's this connection between what you look at and, and your hunger. There's a connection between your hunger and your eyes. And in this situation, in this, in this story, we see that his hunger for breakthrough has been snuffed out because his eyes were upon his circumstance and upon other people. He cared too much about what other people would think to press in. How hungry are you? Let's look at the solution. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5, 24 to 34. So we've got this issue of hopelessness. We've got this guy in a hopeless situation. And he's spending all this time either doubting God because of his circumstances or doubting God because he he's afraid of what other people may say or do. But then here we have another situation where we have a woman. It says a woman with the issue of blood, right? We call it an issue, but really it was a disease. Let's go. We're going to read 24 to 34. A great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. It was packed. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. You know what this meant? This meant that this woman had a disease. This disease was probably pretty painful. And also it made her unclean, meaning that everyone around her rejected her. Can you imagine having a disease where everyone around you, no one wants to touch you? Like you walk through the door and everyone's like, oh, oh snap, Sally's here. I don't, want, I don't want to touch her. You know, you need to sit at that chair in the back. This was this woman's situation. It says that she had it for 12 years. It was a long time. And it says she suffered much under many physicians. Let's look at her situation. She had, she was in pain for 12 years. She had a disease for 12 years, a long time. She suffered a lot. 
She went to every doctor. She suffered under many physicians. She spent all that she had. She was broke and was no better, but rather grew worse. She's been in pain for a long time. No one can help her. She's broke and it's getting worse. Doesn't that sound like a hopeless situation? Doesn't that sound like a situation where you need breakthrough? But it says all of a sudden that she's heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. You know, let me give you the scene. There's a crowd of people standing there. There's a crowd. She's the outcast. She's the one that's ceremonially unclean and she's in a hopeless situation, but she needs breakthrough. And she looks at Jesus. She sets her eyes. She doesn't set her eyes on her circumstance. She's not thinking about how long she's been sick. She sees Jesus. And so what she does is she presses through the crowd. Now, the moment she touches every single person in the crowd, she's making everyone unclean. Like everyone is probably trying to move out of the way because they know as soon as they touch her, as she touches them, they all have to leave the camp. If someone who's unclean touches you, you have to leave the city. We don't do that here in Seoul. You know, if I had a cough and touched you, you don't go, you don't go down to Suwon. But the way that the law was set up was that if someone who was ceremonially unclean touched you, you had to leave. But so, but she did not care what anyone else thought about her. She didn't care if everyone around her was insulted. She made sure that she had to touch Jesus. Because she looked at Jesus and she recognized that Jesus was going to be the one that was going to bring her breakthrough. How hungry are you? Are you willing to offend everyone else around you in order to get your breakthrough? Are you willing to to pray and look like a fool, even if it means that you encounter Jesus? Are you willing to to press in into a way in which everyone else around you may think that you are crazy? But the only person that you have your eyes upon is Jesus. Are you that hungry? See, that's the kind of hunger for breakthrough that God's calling us to. He's calling us to a hunger where we don't care what anyone else thinks. Even the disciples, everyone around was looking at her like something is wrong with this woman. See her, she was desperate. But she acknowledged the power of God. See, you know, the key to breaking out of hopelessness is to acknowledge God's power. See, she acknowledged God's power to such a degree that it did not matter what anyone else thought about about her relationship with God. She was going to press through and move even people out of the way if she had to to get to him. That's hunger. You know, many of us, we say that we we're hungry for God. We say, God, I want this breakthrough. God, I really want it. But are we willing to pay the price? Think about the price that she had to pay to get that breakthrough. She had to she had to pretty much in her touching every single person, making them unclean. They had every right to stone her. She didn't care if it cost her her life. She didn't care if everyone else thought she was stupid. She was willing to pay the price to get that breakthrough. Many times we say, I need this breakthrough. I need God to do this. I need. Well, 
why don't you just commit to praying every single night for it? Oh, well, I can't do it. You know, we give the new language. We start speaking in tongues. Okay, well, why don't you start fasting? Oh, I'll fast from Facebook. An hour a day. Why don't you, why don't you just, oh, you're struggling in this area? Why don't you just leave your door open at night? Oh, I need my privacy, you know? How far are you actually willing to go to get that breakthrough? Are you hungry for it or are you just saying it? See, a real hunger for breakthrough, it, it, it requires for us to acknowledge the power of God and then to go for it. The second hunger is a hunger for the word. See, God wants you to have a hunger for breakthrough, but he also wants you to have a hunger for the word because it's not just enough for you to to fast all day and to pray all day and to pay whatever costs for that breakthrough. He also wants you to have a hunger for his word. He wants you to have a hunger to go deeper in the scripture. I want you to turn to John chapter six. Fifty, and we're going to look at verse. We're going to start at verse fifty-three. We're going to look at from fifty-three to sixty-six. You know the reason we're talking about this is because if you don't have a hunger for it, how do you expect God to fill you? If you don't have a desire for it, how do you expect God? What is God just going to sovereignly do it just because He's good? He will sometimes. But he does that when you're a baby. You know, babies, when they're hungry, they just cry. They, they exercise zero faith to get fed. You know, I'm hungry. And they will cry all night until the parents get up and make sure to give them a bottle. But when you get, when you start to mature in your faith, it stops being about them just doing, oh, it looks like it's time to feed. God doesn't do it like that. And instead he says, wait, are you hungry? Oh, well, then you need you need to step up. You need to actually get up and start walking in that direction in order for me to feed you. You want that breakthrough? You can't just sit there and get all hopeless and expect God to move. Hopelessness doesn't move heaven. Faith does. Unbelief, you can be as hopeless and depressed as you want to be, but it doesn't move heaven. Faith does. A willingness to say, you know what? I'm willing to pay any cost to get this breakthrough. But let's look at the next one, a hunger for the word. John 6, Jesus, he feeds, he feeds the 5,000, he feeds a, numerous, a number of people, and then he decides he's going to start teaching. And he starts teaching crazy stuff. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Let's skip down. He says in verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Wow. Let's skip down to verse 60. When many of his disciples heard him say this, they said, this is a hard saying. You know, if I started teaching that today, you know what, guys? You need to eat my flesh after service and drink my blood. I'm going to lay myself on the table in the back for fellowship. All of you would be like, this teaching is crazy. Pastor Marcus has lost his mind. 
Imagine them sitting in that situation and listening to Jesus say, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to abide in me. So they look at him and say, yo, uh, yo, Big J, this is a hard saying. You know, this is this is crazy. And but they say, who can listen to it? Who can listen to it? Jesus, knowing in himself, the disciples were grumbling. They said, he said, do you take offense at this? You know, offense, I want to give you offense is any time we say that we need to agree or understand something to want it. See, they were like, this is a hard saying. This is too. I can't understand this right now. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't comprehend it. And I really don't agree. How do you expect me to want this? And then Jesus looks at them and says, wait, you're offended. We wouldn't think it. We think offense is like an insult. But no, in God's eyes, offense is when you start to think that God's word has to come to your level of understanding in order for you to follow it. God's word has to come down to your level of. Of hunger for you to obey it. God said, wait, are you offended? You know, what displays our hunger for God's word more than anything else is our response when we don't hear what we want to hear. What we when we read that passage that we don't understand, when the preacher says something that we don't quite agree with. I mean, if you're wondering why you're having trouble desiring God's word, it's probably because you're offended by it. Oh, well, every time I sit down and read numbers, it's boring offense. I don't understand what the Bible is saying. It's offense. I'd rather not read it. It, Why? Why should I take my time and read? It's offense. Because we're saying that this isn't this isn't really the word of God. This isn't the the truth that's going to set us free. We oftentimes get apathetic or despise the word of God. When we don't understand or agree with it because we're offended in America, the American church right now, they're totally offended by the word of God. And that's why the church is falling apart. So no one has a hunger for the word of God because they're totally offended by it. why would I hunger for something that's going to just make me upset? Why would I hunger for something that I don't quite understand? I don't understand why God would say that homosexuality is wrong. I don't understand why God would say that this is a sin. I don't understand why God would say sex outside of marriage is wrong. I don't agree with that. That's not my teaching. I'm offended by the word of God. I don't need to read it. I don't need to obey it. Maybe that's not your heart, but maybe at a, at a smaller degree. Uh, you know, I got better things to do than to, than to sit and meditate on the word of God day and night. I got better things that, you know, I'm going to go see, I'm going to go see this movie. I'm not going to go and, and spend time in my prayer closet meditating on his word. I'm not hungry for it. Why? Because you're offended by it. That's the problem. Offense. So what's the solution? Let's keep reading. Well, Jesus says, he says, do you take offense at this? I'll read from verse 63 down to 69. He says, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. 
But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's crazy. Jesus had a ministry that uh, decreased. <laughs> 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And when we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, the solution to offense is when you acknowledge that the word of God is truth. And it's not just truth to me. It's not just truth to someone else. It's truth. Truth that is truth to someone, but not truth to someone else. That's not truth. It's got to exist beyond your opinion of it. And see, Simon Peter, he said, wait a minute. God, my hunger for you is not predicated on my understanding of you. God, my desire for you is not predicated on whether or not I understand everything that's being said to me. My hunger for you, my desire for you is not predicated on whether or not I like even what I'm hearing. My hunger for you is predicated on the fact that you are the source of all truth. You are the source of all life. See, if you want to hunger for God's word, you first have to stop with the offense and you have to start acknowledging that the the word of God is the source of all knowledge and all truth, whether you understand it or not. That seems really simple, but so many of us struggle with reading our Bible. So many of us struggle with staying and living a life that's defined by the word of God. Guard my heart according to your word that I may not sin sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. But we, we walk to the left and to the right. We get in all kinds of things and we wonder what's the problem. I'll tell you, it's real simple. It's actually just reading your Bible and meditating on it. It's not, poof, poof. This word has stood for 2000 years. It's truth whether or not you understand it in 2013. And when you start to acknowledge that the word of God is truth. When you start to understand that God's ways are higher than your ways, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts, that you don't have to understand him to follow him. You don't have to understand him to want him. Then all of a sudden there's a different dynamic that gets opened up in your relationship with God and his word and its mystery. You know, you ever hear those sisters that talk about that one guy that, you know, doesn't say much. He's like, oh, he's mysterious. I like him. He's mysterious. You know, and then they have a conversation with him and they hear his word and they're like, he's not so mysterious anymore. <laughs> you know, for I once heard someone describe the Bible as being 66 love letters. And for you to go deeper in the word of God, there has to be a level of mystery. Any book that you read that you understand all of it, you never read again. But when you understand that that mystery is God using that to draw you deeper, to draw you into a deeper place with him. And you begin to understand that that relationship is going to grow more and more as you get into his word. A hunger for his word begins to develop in you. I mean, do you trust God enough to seek him when you don't understand what he's saying? 
Do you trust him to seek him even when you when you don't agree with what he's saying? When he says, leave that group, leave those friends, stop being around those people. When he says, start doing this, start taking this step of faith. Do you do you trust him enough to take those? Are you willing to have that kind of hunger and trust in his word? You know, in Deuteronomy 8, it says, it's an interesting verse about hunger. It says, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, Jesus quoted this same verse when he was being tempted in the wilderness, when everything else was going around and Satan was coming at him and was tempting him. To turn the stones into bread. So what Satan really was doing was he was tempting Jesus to be offended by the word of God. He was tempting Jesus to say, you know what? You, you don't understand. You don't agree. Here, you're in a dire situation. Here, just shortcut it. But God, God Jesus didn't, wasn't offended. One, because he can't be offended by himself. That's a double-minded man. He's divided, but... It's because he understood that the true source of truth, the true source of knowledge comes from God. And the last one is a hunger for his presence. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. You know, we sing we sing about wanting his presence, you know. I'm a lover of your presence. I'm a lover. I sing better than that at Norabong. <laughs> you know, when we talk about like, Lord, we want you want your presence. I was even praying that, God, I want more of your presence. I want more of your presence. But then as I was praying about having a hunger for his presence, God began to to lead me to this verse right here. Matthew seven, Matthew 17, one to five. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. This is awesome, right? And his clothes became as white as the light. That's awesome. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, right? All of a sudden, Jesus, all of a sudden, he just gets illuminated his face is shining his clothes are white and then he's got two friends and it's Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John they're they're freaking out because these are the three people they always wanted to meet you know these are their k-pop stars these are their celebrities you know these are the guys that they've heard about their whole life and they're watching them right there and then Peter always quick to talk says Lord is it is good for us to be here duh right in the presence of God, he's illuminated. It is good for us, man. This was good. That's good right there. And he says, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, tents. I'll put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered him and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. That was God. The father saying, shut up, Peter. Peter. 
And Peter was rebuked by Jesus. He was rebuked by God, the Father. Like, and Peter, like after a while, don't you think Peter was just known not to speak sometimes? The voice came from the clouds, like, shut up, Peter. You know why, you know why God told him to, to be quiet? Because Peter wanted to build, he wanted to build some temporary, a temporary museum for the saints. He wanted to build some tents where he could get his worship on in the presence of God. The problem, what I'm trying to say is that Peter was selfish. Peter didn't want to build a temple. Peter didn't want to build a house of worship where everyone could flow to and everyone could come before God. No, Peter just wanted to build a tent, meaning that after he got his worship on and after he was in the presence of God, he would close the tent and go back home and be with everyone else. You know, God, it's good that you showed up here. Man, it's good that you desire to come and touch me here. I'm so glad I came to church today. God touched me. He touched me deeply. I experienced his presence for the first time. And then we close the tent and we go home and no one else hears about it. But the more you, you go to that tent and you get your worship and you experience the presence, but you, you close it and you leave and it's just an experience. What begins to happen is that what began to be a vibrant hunger. Man, you're weeping every Sunday because God's presence is so thick. After a while, it's like one tear. Then you stop crying altogether. And then after a while, you're just kind of bored. Why? Because it's just, it's filling you up, but it's not going to anyone else. See, Peter wanted to build a tent in the presence of God because as much as he wanted the presence of God, he didn't really hunger for it. He didn't really want it beyond his own selfish needs. He just wanted it for himself and himself alone so he could feel good about him being up at the mountain. That's why he said, hey, James and John, man, this is good. It's good that we're here. You know what? Let's build us a tent. Let us get our own fill. And then let us just forget about everyone else. You know, so that we can feel that we're greater. It's like the same guys later on. They're saying, who's going to be greatest among you? I want to sit at your right and to your left. See, what snuffs out a, a hunger for his presence is actually being in his presence, but never touching anyone else. You went to the retreat last year. You had your powerful encounter, but who was impacted after? You've been in small group and God's touched you, but who, who have you touched? And all of a sudden, it just becomes this religious routine where no one else gets impacted but you. And, and then all of a sudden, now your hunger and your sensitivity to the presence of God just decreases more and more and more. I know that for myself, that when I'm not touching other people. When I'm not reaching out into other people's lives, all of a sudden my my sensitivity and even my desire for God's presence begins to wane. When, even when I'm in my prayer closet and I'm all if I'm always praying for myself, I notice that the presence starts to wane. Even my desire for the presence starts to wane and it just becomes things on a checklist that I need to get through. 
That's the problem. But you know what the solution is? The solution is to acknowledge the greater call that God's placed upon your life. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. See, when, we, when we're just seeking the presence of God and it's just for ourselves and it's only for our selfish desires, after a while, it's like anything good. You know, I really love Abiko Curry. You know, they've got them all over the place. Abiko. It's like the bomb if you've never had Japanese curry. Mm. I don't even know if it's Japanese, but it's good. And I eat there all the time. But the more and more I eat there and I get the chicken set, the... The il dange. I don't get the baby, the baby spicy. I get the, the plus one. But the more and more I eat there, the more and more I partake in it, even though it's good. After a while, it just stops tasting as good. I get used to it. And then, you know, another another curry place opened up. And so I just go to another place that's that's got that's got better curry. And I just keep eating until I get tired of that. And then I'll move to somewhere else. And that's how many of us live our Christian walk. We'll be at a place and we'll just get filled and filled and filled and not touch anyone until we get tired of the taste because we've desensitized and we're not hungry for the presence. And then we go somewhere else where the presence may be a little different and thicker and we do the same thing all over again. And no one gets touched. And we stop actually being hungry because we're just so full. But the solution to that is to acknowledge that God's call Acknowledge the call of God that's over your life. It's actually greater than, than your selfish desires. Acts 1, 6 to 7. Well, actually, uh, I want to read 4, 4 to 8. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Talking about the Holy Spirit which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Before this, Jesus had given them the great commission. He had told them that they would go out unto all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. He gave gave them these great visions, these great calls. And he said that he would give them the Holy Spirit so they would do it. And see, when you when you're in a selfish mentality and it's all about yourself getting filled, you, you get as much as you think you need. But when you recognize that the call of God over your life is for you to impact thousands, not to impact just thousands, but to impact millions, then all of a sudden you stop just asking for just enough for yourself. You stop being complacent and then you start crying out for more. Why? Because you realize that you need the Holy Spirit. You imagine these guys in this situation. He says, listen, I told you to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Actually, I want you to start in these places and then I want you to go to the ends of the earth. He's talking to a small group of guys. They're looking at each other like, wait, where? I can't I can't even run that far. Where where am I going? 
And they're realizing it's something that they can't do on their own effort. So they're starting to realize that actually they need something greater than their own effort. They need God's spirit. See, a hunger for his presence is when you realize that God's call over your life is so big that if it won't happen without God. God's desire for your life is so big that it won't happen unless his Holy Spirit is upon you. See, too many of us, we have a small view of God's call for our lives, God's vision for our lives. And so we only press in for what we think is enough. We only press in for what we think will get us through the day. But God isn't pouring out his spirit. He doesn't want to give you his presence just for you. He wants to give it to you for nations. He wants to give it to you for the entertainment mountain. He wants to give it to you for the business mountain. He wants to give it to you for the multitudes. It's like a pregnant lady. You know, when she's eating, she's recognizing that she's not just eating for herself. She's eating for two, maybe three. And if it's Octomom, she's eating for a bunch of people. How many of us are hungry for someone else? How many of us are hungry for the orphan that we know can't pray? How many of us are hungry for for our family members that we know don't know God? How many of us are hungry for those people that we have never met yet, but God has said that we would impact? You know, when I first became campus pastor here at Itaewon, I was only seeking enough of God's presence for me. I wanted to just build my little tent, have my powerful encounters, and that would be it. But all of a sudden, I realized that, you know what? I can't do this without God. That no one's lives will be changed unless God moves. Therefore, I need his presence. I need as many impartations. I need as many encounters. I need God's spirit to move upon me in ways that he's never moved upon me before. Because I know that when I get touched, that's thousands that are going to get touched later on. I'm not just doing it for now, but I'm thinking 10 years, 15 years down the road because you represent a thousand. And so I know if God's if I'm hungry for his presence in such a way that it will impact you, you will impact a thousand other people. That's a lot of people getting impacted. I'll give you a a baby step as to how to hunger for more of his presence. You know, I, I, uh, I told, I told, uh, I'd been having some issues with my thyroid recently and, and your thyroid is a gland in your throat and it causes you to, if it's overactive, it causes you to sweat a lot. (sighs) It causes you to rapidly lose weight. It causes you to shake. All these different things. But one thing it causes you to do is to rapidly lose weight. And so I'd always try to thought, like, I just have a high metabolism. That's why I can't keep on anything at all. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, what's wrong with me? Um, but I realized that this was kind of the issue. And but at the same time as I'm having all these issues is when I felt God impress upon me that it was time for me to exercise. <laughs> that sounds that sounds simple. He's like, why is it, what is he talking about? Well, he's saying, you know, because I felt God put that on my heart. One, because you saying, Marcus, you're not living for yourself. You got to be around for not just the ministry, but for your children and your children's children. And I was like, good point, God. 
But then as I started to exercise, I noticed something about my appetite because before I couldn't eat anything like the sisters on staff would laugh at me because like I would eat like half of my plate. And then they were like, you're, you're done. And I'm like, yeah, you know, just push the bowl over. And it's like, I took like three bites and I'm like, I lose my appetite so quickly. And my hunger was just gone. Like I, I didn't want to eat. I could go days. I could go definitely days with only eating once if that and not feel hungry. My appetite completely gone. But when I started exercising, all of a sudden I noticed I could eat more. Now, some of you may not have that problem in terms of eating more, but I, I'm, I'm leading you somewhere. When I started exercising, I, I, I realized I could eat more. Eat more so that I was eating like five meals. I'm eating like five meals a day, which is a lot. Like, and, but I realized that the exercising was causing my hunger to increase. And I want to tell you, the reason why many of you aren't hungry for God's presence is because you're not exercising your faith. You're not stepping out and touching anyone else. And therefore, you don't have the hunger deep inside of you that's needing more of God's presence. You go out on the street and, and offer to pray for someone or pray for someone, pray for their healing. Go out on the street and, and encourage someone, call someone that you've been you've been at odds with. And begin to go for reconciliation. Some of you even it's just talking to your parents. Take that one step of faith and I bet you in that moment you will realize, oh, I need God. If God doesn't move. This is going to be bad. If God doesn't move, I'm going to look like a fool. We, we go on the street and do 1038. That's what we call it, our evangelism. And every time we go out, I, we go to Gecko's, the bar up the street, and we, and we go on the street, and we be evangelizing to people. And I remember the first time I prayed for someone, and I, and I was like, you know, I was praying so hard. I just pray presence. I pray for God, you to touch him and heal him right now and speak grace over his life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Check it out. You're all good, aren't you? He's like, ah, oh. yeah, yeah, just walk that off. You'll be fine. I'm like, right, you're at least like 30%, right? He's like, no, no, I'm the same. Okay, okay, I'm going to pray again. Healing right now. You know, because I thought if I screamed it louder, like, like his knee would hear me. He's like, healing right now. Healing. Check it. Uh, where, where you at? Tell, talk to me. Talk to me. You're like, you're like 85, 85, five. You know, by that time he, he needed to go. I think he wanted to go. But you know what I realized? I realized I needed more of God. I realized that the level of God's presence I was carrying was not enough. I realized that I needed more of God's presence and it began to awaken in me a desire to pray and ask for more of his presence. You know, this this upcoming week, like I said, we have this church wide retreat. And many of you, you're probably not even that excited. You're just like, you know, it's a retreat. I'm going to go have a good time. And then it'll be over. But 
I want to tell you that God wants to bring breakthrough in your life at this retreat. God wants to change your life at this retreat. God wants to change your life in ways that you could never even imagine for yourself at this retreat. I want to tell you, God wants to awaken in you a desire for his word that you've never had before. Where his word begins to actually open up and begins to really be spirit and life to you. Where it's not just some religious book that you pick up because you know if you don't, you're going to feel bad about yourself. But it's something that you want. You desire his truth. And he's going to show you more and more of his presence. I believe we've been praying for his presence to come in a way that would blow our minds. Where from the front to the back, everyone would get rocked. But it only comes when you're hungry. When you shake off that hopelessness. When we shake off our offense in our hearts. And our selfishness. And we say, God, you know what? I desire it so much, God, because I know that you're going to touch me so that thousands, so multitudes will be touched. That's a hunger for it. That's a hunger for his presence. Let's pray together right now.